Welcome to our second season of Shooting the Breeze. This time, we're casting our net wider. We're going to be talking to inspiring athletes, amazing coaches, and behind-the-scenes trailblazers from across the women's basketball landscape. As we start the run-up to another WNBL season and the FIBA Women's World Cup being held right here in Sydney, this is a great time to be a fan of Australian women's basketball. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to know when we have more Hoops goodness headed your way. In our second free agency episode, we look at Perth, who announced Taya Burrows in the days after we recorded the podcast. Last season's grand finalists, Townsville, the New Look Flames and the UC Caps, who have Kelly Wilson returning to build on her record of most WNBL games played. There's still a lot of unknowns with weeks to go until the start of the season. Will there be a hub for part or all of it? Especially since the AFLW and NRLW have pushed back their season starts to January 2022. And we're still waiting for an update from the WNBL. Add to that the number of free agents still out there, so there's a lot to unpack in this episode. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Today it's our second look at free agency where we talk about Perth, Townsville, Sydney and Canberra. Joining me, my co-host Jacinta Gavin. Jacinta, how are you doing? Pretty good, thanks, Paul. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad. I've actually been looking forward to this one because I think there's some really interesting stuff happening with the four teams we'll be talking about today. But before we get into it, they're talking about the AFLW delay the start of their season because of COVID. Now, it's going to create a little bit of havoc for TV and broadcast. They were talking about starting in January, which means effectively they'll be launching their season during the second half of the WNBL season. I'm really wondering how that's going to impact you know, basketball and basketball viewership, however we're going to be able to watch the games. Yeah, have they announced how the WNBL is going to be broadcasted next season just yet? Not so far. And also, you know, I, mean, I suppose there's still questions hanging around again, based off COVID situation, yeah. are we going to get a regular home and away season or is it going to be a hub or is it going to be some sort of mix of the two? Yeah, yeah, like a bubble season. Yeah, that would be interesting. But it was a shame how we mentioned last podcast that um, the WNBL and AFLW were already running parallel rather than perhaps alternating seasons. Um, oh, yeah, it's, it's going to be really tough to have the AFLW start halfway through the WNBL season. It would be interesting to see if there were any fluctuation in viewership numbers and things like that. Hopefully there'll be a way for us to watch both and attend both and that's if everything's opened up by January, I guess. Yeah, well, let's hope so. (laughs) Another season not being able to get to watch a game is going to be a little bit tough, I think. Yeah, I remember last year when we were able to watch... I can't... I think it was when they had the Shelley Gorman Invitational. Yep. Um, was that January this year? Yeah, it was early this year. I can't yeah, remember exactly yeah. when. January this year, yeah, held at Sydney Uni. And I remember going to that first game and it was just like a very surreal experience of being able to watch a game live again, like courtside. It was something that you grew up doing all the time. And then when you're forced to have a break from it for a while and then you come back to it, yeah, it was really, really strange. Strange feeling. Nice feeling, but still strange. So I'm looking forward to having that surreal experience again. Okay. And, of course, the other other big piece of news that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet is the announcement of the Opal squad for the Asia Cup. A lot of new names in that. 
a lot of young names. To me, it looks like they're trying to build a younger team that will be able to support our veterans as we go forward in towards Paris. Yeah, I got the same feeling when I saw this squad announcement too. I think you mentioned earlier, like casting a wide net um, to try yeah. to harness as much talent across as many of the younger age groups as you possibly can. And it, I think it's a really good way of trying to integrate the existing core members of the Opal squad with all of the up-and-coming and emerging Opals that were starting to filter through and become quite outstanding players in their own right. So you've got the likes of your Jade Melbournes, who was recently named in the All-Star 5 at the Under-19 FIBA World Championships. Um, yep. Then you've got the likes of Jazz Shelley, who's probably a tad bit older but was also part of the Under-17s team that Shannon Seabom took to win the World Championship a couple years ago. But even when she was in that team, yep. she was quite young. And then you still got people like Keely Froling, who's been part of the 3 by 3 team, quite an integral part of that, and Lauren Scherf, who in my eyes they're still really young, but that's just because I'm, you know, a bit over the hill now. But, yeah, they're still emerging vocals <laughs> as well. So it's a really good cross-section of talent and age group. And I think if Basketball Australia and whoever's, um, in charge of the Opals, if they plan this well, they can have quite a nice transition between, you know, like different age groups and different pools of talent and have a real consistent stock of talented Opals. Yeah, I mean, especially when you've got the younger players who are being anchored by more experienced players like, you know, Beck Allen, Loz Nicholson. So there's a really good mix there. And I think what's going to come out of this is a pool of players who'll be able to provide a really good support to the veterans, not only in the World Cup, but also the run-up to Paris. This is really strong foundational stuff for taking the Opals forward. Yeah, I totally agree. And lots of the players in this squad that was announced have all played or all represented Australia in some way before. So they do have had a taste of what it's like to compete at a world stage, whether it was in a junior team, including some of the university teams as well, Keely Froling, Lauren Scherf, Christy Wallace, they were all part of this Australian university team as well back in the day. So patches of people in that squad have got really good experience playing with each other. But, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how well, you know, what type of combinations across generations can emerge from this squad. Yeah, that's one of these watch this space ones. And we're definitely going to be keeping a close eye on what happens with the Asia Cup as that takes place. Let's get into having a look at the free agency and let's start off with Perth. There's three slots yet to be confirmed for the team. My biggest surprise is Caddy Ray Ebsry, who's still listed as a free agent, doesn't appear to have been signed anywhere else, but they've definitely boosted their stocks in the centre with picking up Lauren Scherf out of Sydney. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I think they probably needed a little bit more height and presence under the basket if we're reflecting from the last WNBL season. Um, so, yeah, I think picking up Lauren Scherf was really, really handy for Perth. The big question mark, like you said, is over Katie Ray. Like she is still listed as a free agent. We've both scoured social media and articles online to see if she has been re-signed with Perth or signed somewhere else but neither of us have come up with anything yet. But they do lose a bit of experience as well with Kayla Steindl 
She's listed as a free agent, but I know that her husband, Clint Steindl, um, who used to play for the Perth Wildcats, has now signed with the Jack Jumpers in Tasmania. So she has headed down there. So I'm not too sure if she's going to be playing at all. Mm. Um, I think they were quite smart, Perth, with signing a couple of WNBA players quite quickly. Yep. I think that's going to give them a little bit more of an edge compared to the last season. And then, yeah, keeping a lot of local talent as as some of their core players from like players six to, to ten. Yeah, and, and they picked up Mackenzie Clinch-Hoycard, who's been playing in uh, college in Hawaii. It'll be interesting to see how she slots in. And she plays a forward, but it'll be interesting to see how they use her in the game, particularly supporting Lauren Scherf, because she's coming in at six foot three. So there's height there, and mm. she could well be a great backup for Lauren Scherf in that position. Definitely, yeah. It's always interesting to see um, some up-and-comers who have got a bit of college experience under their belt come into the WNBL because it can be different styles of play as well, but I think sometimes going to college can be great for players to accelerate their skills and adaptability. Yeah, I mean, apart from that, there is stability for the team. Ryan Petrick is staying on as the head coach, so, you know, they're going to be an interesting team to watch. The biggest thing for me is how they're going to fill those last three slots. Yeah, and three slots is like, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot. And it can be really important. I mean, are they going to go for like big key players as well in those last three spots? Or are they going to fill one of the three spots with a key player and then maybe look for some other bench players? Yeah, I think they've got some big decisions on their hands. Yeah, Perth is a bit of a wild card at the moment, but the one thing that they do have in their to their advantage is there's still a lot of players on the free agency list that haven't been picked up by other teams. So maybe taking their time is going to play to their advantage. Yeah, that's a really, really good point, actually. Yeah, like you said, the free agency list is, I think we mentioned last week, you can make a whole another talented team. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they could be a little bit spoiled for choice, especially if it gets to the final hour where they've still got ninth and 10th spots to fill. Um, if you still got people like Ali Wilson on the free agency list ready to go, that's a really handy pickup. Yeah. I think this one's going to go, are going to go right down to the wire mm. just, just from the amount of choice that's available. Okay. So let's move on to Townsville. I'm finding Townsville really interesting. I find them really interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, they've been able to keep, a solid core that they've held over from last season, which I'm sure Shannon's going to be really pleased with. They've announced 10 of their 12, which has got, uh, they're including a couple of imports from the WNBA. Mm-hmm. And also it's a pretty tall team. You know, you've got Lara McSpadden at 1.93 metres in the, playing the centre. You've got Monique Billings, Zatina and Nadine Payne. You know, there's there's a lot there. I think it's going to make it really hard for teams to be able to challenge them in the paint. Yeah, and they're all like good role players. Like Lyra McSpadden is a really great classic five-man role player, but also to their advantage with their tall teams, they're all young and they can all run. So when you come yeah. across a team that can all run the floor and they've got a good foot height advantage over you, yeah, then you're in trouble. You're going to have to start getting creative with your combinations and your coaching strategies. But, yeah, I really like that Townsville have kept a really strong core from the last season. Um, which is not surprising because I'm sure that Shannon would have wanted to keep it that way. And Shannon is very good at 
picking the right combination of players and because he is such a well-respected coach, people will want to stick around and play for him. So I'm not really surprised for lots of reasons that they've kept such a good core. And then he's very good at picking players that complement each other and complement each other's strengths to be able to add people to what he's already got. Yeah, the thing about Shannon is he's got a really good eye for not only his team but also how to be able to play his team against the others. He really analyses what options he's got. I think the biggest change for the team is the fact that Shiloh's left and gone to Sydney. That being said, I don't think it's going to be a huge impact at Townsville because they've got enough depth, they've got the stability and the fact that Loz Nicholson's coming back, yes, she was a great combination with Shiloh on the floor, but I think, yes, it's going to be a hole, but I don't think it's going to be a monstrously deep hole for them. No, I agree. I totally agree. I think with Shiloh leaving Townsville, it gives a bit more opportunity for people like Steph Reed to really show us what she's made of. I felt like she played really well in the last WNBL season and she's been playing like consistently well in NBL 1 for the last two, three years. So I think this will now give her a good chance to step up and really show us what she's made of. But also Courtney Wood, I feel like she had really good glimpses of good play last WNBL season, so I'd like to see more of her. And I just feel like the ball is perhaps going to be a little bit more shared around in this Townsville team. And if you've got a team of scorers like Mia, Steph, Nadine, Loz, Nicholson, Zatina, um, Michaela Cox is coming back to, plus your two WNBA players, if you've got a whole strong 10 roster of people that can all score, then that's going to be a lot harder to beat than just the one or two people controlling the play. Yeah, you're right in saying that it is, it's, a very, very strong team, a lot of depth. You're hard-pressed to see a chink in the armour here. I think they're a really, really strong package. To be honest, I don't know a lot about the two import players that they have signed. I don't know enough about them to say how well they're going to um, fit in with the existing Townsville roster. Sometimes that can be the downfall for a team where they sure they've got a couple of imports that should be the best players in the team, but they're not always going to be able to work into the existing fold of a team as easily as you would want or could expect. So sometimes that can be a downfall. That's Just looking at the roster, that's the only possibility I could see as a, a flaw in the Townsville team. But, yeah, like I said, I can't say for sure. I don't know how these the two imports are working at the moment or what yeah. they're to provide at the moment. So. Yeah, the only thing I can say to that is that I'm sure that Shannon would have spent a lot of time scouting the imports that he brought in mm. with an eye to being how well are they going to integrate with my process. Yeah, definitely. Because I know that, yeah, he's really good at not just complementing players' strengths with each other, but also complementing styles with the players that he's got. Okay. We're moving on down the coastline and we get to Sydney. Yeah. Um, Sydney have finalised their player and coaching roster and it is effectively an all-new team and coaching staff. Really, the only players that have remained is Funda, Kira, Lauren Mansfield. It's all new names everywhere from there. Yeah, they cleaned house, didn't they? <laughs> sure did. Yeah, so when I was going through this roster today, it's easy to you know go down the list and uh, 
write a list of players that have definitely signed off the roster. Yeah, yeah, you know, you've got Kalani Purcell. That was a great pickup from Sydney to get Kalani Purcell. They've got Keely Frolling in. That's a great pickup. And then you look at the people who are on their free agency list and it's people who have been in the Flames teams or squads for like the last three years. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, they've just totally cleaned house it's uh it's brand new it's very see this is me maybe being over the hill but it still feels like quite a young emerging squad yep so I'm hoping that all of the new signings especially the local signings the Flames have signed them for at least two years because yeah being a young squad probably a lot of them have never played together before we can't really expect them to be you know top two in the first season together you kind of want that first season for them to almost get used to each other and the second season expect them to be more competitive yeah I'd agree with that I think this is obviously a rebuild team I think this season what the Flames are going to be looking for is ideally to get into the top four or if not into the top four at least you know they want that number five slot Mm. depending on how well they manage to gel together It'll be interesting prospect to see the development of the team and chemistry over the season. And obviously, you know, it's a completely different coaching style bringing in Shane Hill with Shelley Gorman coming in as the assistant coach. Yeah, how's that for a throwback? Yeah. <laughs> former Sydney King and a former Sydney Flame at the helm of this new young uh, Sydney Flames team. It would be interesting to see how that dynamic goes. I'm really, really happy, though, that they've got Shelley Gorman back into the fold because she was such a an iconic Sydney Flames player and Oakley oh, player. But um, absolutely. for me growing up, going down to watch the Flames, I remember going to watch her and Annie Lafleur play. Um, and Trish Fallon, of course. Oh, my gosh, Trish Fallon was so good. So, yeah, I think it's really nice that Shelley Gorman has been invited back to have an opportunity to coach at her old WNBL club. It's nice when clubs can have that kind of turnaround of um, a former player coming back and have that sense of loyalty and legacy and um, club history about it. Yeah, and I think it's important also because, and we've had this conversation before offline, it's important because it helps to develop a sense of history amongst the younger players of where the WNBL has come from and the players that we had, and as you said, Annie, uh, Trish, so many at Robin Ma, and so many others that you could name from that period. There are a lot of younger players who really, because we don't get an opportunity to watch footage from those days, you don't have the TV or video uh, footage showing up again, a lot of that memory is lost. So having someone like Shelley Gorman coming back as an assistant coach gives that ability for people to remember that history and talk about it as well. Yeah, and obviously no disrespect to any other coaches, but when you're a player at any level, if you are getting coached by, you know, a more senior player who is successful at that same level that they're coaching you at, it's just like an instant almost level of respect or level of understanding of like, you know what, I'm going to listen to what this coach says to me because they've actually lived it. So it it makes it a little bit more of like a an honest transaction between player and coach. Yeah, because they lived it and that's where it's coming from. It's not coming from a book. It's coming from, you know, these were my successes and here I'm going to share them with you so you can have the same successes. And look, one of the things that people have mentioned 
and we've got to mention it, is what's the dynamic going to be like having Shane coach Shyla in the team? And I'm not saying that this is going to be a negative. It's like that's a dynamic, and I know that they did it at uh, Sutherland, but it's an interesting dynamic that's going to come to the team. And I'm curious, have you ever seen anything like that before as to, to give us some sort of indication of how that dynamic might work? Yeah, because I can only really reflect on when Shane was coaching Shyla at Sutherland too, but I wonder because that was Waratah League and um, I wonder that because they took it for granted um, or you can take Waratah League, not so much for granted, but you can just do what you want. I wonder though, you're coming into WNBL, which is, you know, the professional league, a lot more serious in a sense of what it means to other people and what it means to the club what it means for the standard of the league. I wonder if their relationship will be a little bit more professional and hopefully Shane will be setting some boundaries with Shyla that he will be setting with every other player so it's fair and that there aren't any kind of conditions, you know, favouritism or anything like that because that's very easily what it can look like on the outside. But I really, I'm still holding on to hope that that's not going to happen. Yeah, look, again, and I mean, Sydney-based, Central Coast-based, this is our team. We want to see them succeed. And I think it's really important that the team actually bonds really well and none of that stuff comes into it. The only other thing I wanted to talk to you about is the fact that we've got the two imports, both have got WNBA experience. Stephanie Watts was originally picked up by LA, traded to Chicago and has been released by Chicago. Oh. But Leona Odom is is with New York Liberty and has come from the Duke basketball program. I haven't really had much chance to see either of them play. Got to assume that these are going to be players that are going to be pretty dynamic and pretty tough just based off what I understand from Shane's coaching style. Yeah, for sure. And they've both Leona and Steph have um, a bit of height to them too. I think one's at 180 and one's at 188. So already adding that to Keely Froling and to, oh, Kalani's got some decent height on her, but Keely and Beck Pizzi as well have got some height to them. Yeah, I think that it would be a bit silly if Shane didn't harness as much of this talent in this team as he has. And he would be wanting to use those two imports as much as possible because having two forwards or possibly centres as imports with two very good point guards in Shyla and Lauren Mansfield, yeah, that has potential to um, have some really exciting basketball for our comp next season. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things where because there's so many new faces and there's so many new players in the team, it's so hard to make any forecasts on how they're going to gel and how they're going to be able to play together. To me, it looks like there's a lot of really good parts that have been put together in this team. It, now it's how are they going to mesh? Yeah, and just re-looking at the list, I think Beck Pizzi, Keely Froling, Kira Rowe, I think they're similar ages and may have played Australian juniors at some stage together. Yeah, the WNBA players are going to have to slot in somehow. Then you've got Emma Mahady. I think she's from Albury. She's signed with, yep. with the Flames. I honestly haven't heard of her before until she was signed with the Flames, so I'd be interested to see what um, she brings to the table. But, yeah, then you've still got Funda. Funda's, honestly, from the roster last year, will this be Funda's third season with the Flames or second? Third. Second. 
Second? Second. Yeah, that's right. It is only her second, but I'm glad that she's sticking around because I feel like she was really underutilized in the last season. I think she can be really, really handy. Then you've still got two DPs, Kate Diebel and Kyra Evans. Yeah, look, there's experience here in the DPs. And you still got Lauren Mansfeld, who's got a ton of experience and is, you know, a great player. Like I said, for me, this looks like you've got all the pieces. It's just how to put them together and how to make them mesh and work together. Look, there's bits of this that remind me of the team that was put together when the Flames last won the championship. A lot of people who came together was predominantly a new team. Mm. They got off to a really rocky start, but then went all the way. Sometimes it is just a matter of peaking at the right time, I think. Yep. I think they'll all fit together reasonably well if everyone just kind of relaxes, plays their own game. I think it looks like a good roster of players who are quite flexible. I don't see any any egos that are going to get in the way of the team's successes. But, yeah, it will be pretty interesting to see how quickly they can gel because I – are you aware, like, because some of the semi-pro leagues, you know, because of COVID have been quite interrupted. I don't even know if some of them are going to finish, but I know that yeah. um, South Australia, what is it, NBL 1 Central looks like. It's, it is Central. It's on its way. I think out West has finished. But, yeah, that's been very disruptive this year. I don't think a lot of players have been able to get a really good off-season um, so that kind of begs the question for me, when are they going to start pre-season for the WNBL? What is it? It's a start in early November. Mm. Um, the Asia Cup is from the 26th of September to the 3rd of October. That'll take them through about the 17th or 20th of October. Man, that's tight. And then um, two weeks quarantine. Yeah, well, it goes from the 26th to the 3rd, and then if you add the two weeks quarantine, assuming they get back on the 3rd or 4th, mm. you're into the, the 17th to somewhere between the 17th and the 20th of October, wow. if it's a start in the beginning of November, the only way I can see pre-season happening is where, you know, some teams are going to be missing players. So Townsville will be missing Zatina and Lauren Nicholson. Mm. Perth will be missing Lauren Scherf. Um, Perth will miss Alex Sharp as well. They'll miss Alex Sharp, Lauren Scherf and Darcy Garvin. Yeah. That's such a, I mean, preparation has really been the buzzword of, of the year with Australian women's <laughs> basketball, hasn't it? It has. And this is going to kind of throw a cat amongst the pigeons for that prep. I'm not quite sure how they're going to be able to make it all work, but I guess they'll do the preseason with not full rosters. Yeah, that's that's pretty, that's disappointing. Because like we were saying before, who you are in one team and then the next team is totally different. So it's not like you can go to an Opals camp and be one player and then jump on a plane and go back to the Perth camp and be the same player, you're going to have to adapt. And sometimes adapting can take a while. Yeah, this is really, yeah. this is really, really tight. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And now let's get to our final team, mm. the Caps. Interesting roster. I mean, they've Brit Smart stayed, Michaela Roof, Talia, They've got Jade Melbourne, KG23 is staying, and they've got Alicia Froling, Kelly Wilson, and Britt Sykes. So they've named eight so far mm. that, that we, we're aware of. How do you think this one's going to pan out? I don't know, to be honest. I'm not sure about this roster. I wasn't aware that Michaela Roof was still sticking around until 
later this afternoon, but I'm guessing she had signed for two years and had just stayed. Yeah. Those ones that was just unannounced, but she was still there. Actually, just to throw back to last episode, Abby Werung, where we had a question mark whether she was playing, she was still signed to Adelaide, my sources tell me, and it just wasn't announced. So that's what I'm guessing has happened with Michaela Roof as well. Um, So they've swapped one frolling for another. Yeah. They've kept Jade Melbourne, which is great. So she's decided not to go play for the Indiana Sun Devils and stay in Australia and play for Caps, which is great. She's um oh she's so good. She really encapsulates the UC Caps culture. So it's really good that they managed to keep her. Brit Smart, like I'm really hoping that she can stay injury free this season. So I think she's had some injury troubles the last two seasons and she's very talented. So I'd like to see her play a full season. Kelly Wilson is coming back, I think, from having a baby. So full credit to her for coming back after having a baby, but she is racking up her games. I wonder if she plays most games this next season where she'll be in the list of most games played. Yeah. Because I'm yeah, pretty she, sure she's like in the top five at the moment. have to do a bit of digging into that one to yeah. see exactly how many games she's got up her sleeve so far. I'm just, I don't, I'm a bit on the, like they're all talented players. There's obviously some pieces missing. I feel like the Caps have space for some bigger pieces. Like I'd probably like to see a couple more forwards or bigs added to the roster. I'm sitting on the fence with this squad. It surprises me because, I mean, there's a core there that's been there for a while. I agree with you. I'd love to see Brit Smart make it through the season without any injury issues because when she's healthy and she's playing at her peak, she's so great to watch. Mm. And also Talia has had, I mean, she played virtually her entire career except for the last couple of seasons in Sydney. She's a great player to watch. And I think it almost feels like there's a little bit of a changing of the guard happening at Canberra. But it, the good thing is Gorry's staying on for three years. So from that point of view, I think there's going to be a, a longer-term vision for the Caps in terms of the rebuilding, which is obviously having to happen now that you've, you know, Tolo's going overseas other players have gone to other teams. So I think maybe not this season, but I think there's a potential for building a good, strong core group for the next couple of seasons. Yeah, I think that you're right there. I think that's probably why I'm sitting on the fence with this squad because I can see lots of old school caps still staying there, which is great, but also lots of new caps. And I don't see a lot of like in between. You know, if you compare them to Townsville, there were lots of still core players, but also core players who'd played for Townsville for a really long time. So I felt like there was a bit more of a smoother transition from old school to new school, whereas the Caps, I feel like, is a bit disjointed. But I just remembered that I think Gemma Potter, the young Victorian as well, I think she might be still signed to play for Caps despite doing an ACL at the under-20s Nationals earlier this year. To be honest, I haven't seen any any information on movement from her. So, again, that's another one that we'll have to follow up. We'll have to try and reach out to the Caps and see what other information we can get from them. Look, all in all, now that we've looked at all the eight teams, I think it's going to be a really interesting season. The biggest issue, the thing that's going to create the biggest surprises, I think will be whether we're going to be playing a regular home and away season or whether it's going to be the front end of the season may end up being played in some sort of a hub purely because of COVID. But also, if we do go to a full home and away season, 
what are the limitations going to be in terms of crowds? Mm, yeah. Oh, gosh, because I remember with the bubble season, a lot of our favourite armchair experts online were saying um, that the Townsville had an unfair disadvantage of playing against the home crowd essentially when they'd play either in Townsville or even in Mackay. So they thought that was, you know, part of Townsville's success. Not the fact that they had a very talented team and, and coach, but the fact that they played in front of their home crowd. So I don't know, do you do you provide teams the opportunity to play on their home court, like a traditional home and away type season or with no crowds? Or do you put all of the teams into a bubble uh, that's almost like neutral ground where they also have, you know, the same crowd as everyone else? Look, to be honest, I don't think if we do go to a hub, I don't think it's going to be in Queensland this time mm. um, purely because of the the current restrictions. And also, you know, the noise has been that even once we get to whatever the magical vaccination percentage number is, Queensland is not necessarily going to let people in. So wherever it is, somebody's going to have a crowd advantage. And I don't think it's that big an advantage, to be honest. It is important having your crowd there, but ultimately I don't think it's going to get a team to the grand final. If you haven't got the talent and you've got a crowd, you're still not going to get there. The big thing for me is if we do end up having a home and away season for some or all of the games, then the question is how many people are going to get allowed to go and watch, which for teams that have got really reasonably large stadiums, it's not going to be a big issue. But for teams that are playing in smaller venues, that could end up being a big issue for them. Yeah, definitely, because if they're going by the so many people per square metre rule, having a smaller, more compromised space is going to put those teams with smaller venues at a bigger disadvantage. Yeah, and look, that's one of those ones where I think it's going to be, let's just watch this space and see how things develop over the next four, six, eight weeks, and hopefully we'll be getting some more guidance from the WNBL as to what's going to be happening. It would be pretty tricky at the moment for Basketball Australia and WNBL to really cement their plans in any state of what they're going to do because, like you said, Queensland's restrictions are always changing. Um, I know that WA is probably at a better stead to host, um, you know, a bubble season, but they're probably some of the more strict states on border protection. I'm looking at Darwin or Adelaide. Yeah, that's that's a real possibility. It's reasonably under control in both of those um, both of those states, and there are venues that could host the teams. I really wish we could get some. I know they can't give us a decision, but it'd be great to be able to get hear some sort of guidance from the WNBL as to what sort of options are on the table. Mm, yeah, at least create some hype around the season because. Before we know it, it will be October and we've got to get ready for the season the next month and we won't know what's going on. Yeah, because the other thing for me is last season you were in a, you were in a hub while every game was shown. Mm. Your fans have now learned to live without actually going to a game. Yeah. Which isn't a great situation. So really what we want to be able to do is generate that hype, be able to get people excited about going to a game. The only thing that would make things worse is if they turn around and say, particularly here in Sydney, if they turn around and say, okay, the NBL season is going to get pushed out because of 
COVID situation, then the potential for being able to have double headers at QDOS is going to be significantly reduced. So there's all sorts of implications. It's like a giant Chinese puzzle. You pull one piece out, you don't know what's going to happen. Oh, it's so hard because like if it's isolated to just this one season of when you have to put it on, but it has this whole ripple effect. Like COVID has had this big ripple effect on scheduling and planning and implementing seasons of different levels and divisions where we were so accustomed to having like the WNBL in summer and then however much break and then the semi-pro season in winter and then a bit of a break and it'll just keep carrying on like that. And look, the world worked very well and uh, (laughs) we were able to have a good balance between WNBL and NBL and whatever else was happening. But uh, just because COVID has delayed things, um, obviously the restrictions have made planning and organising harder. But also like different sports have different access to different things and different ability to be able to overcome restrictions. So that makes the whole landscape of professional sport completely different again. Yeah. Again, this is this is one of these ones where I think we really need guidance from the sport even if look even if you don't know what's going to happen mm. tell people something even if it's just look we're not sure what's going to happen we're thinking that it could be a hub or it could be a regular home and away season and we're hoping to have a decision by this point in time at least that's telling the fans something mm. where they can sit back and go okay we're going to have a better idea of where things are going to be 6 weeks from now mm. that's great You can't just keep ignoring the fans. You can't just keep ignoring their need to know because they want to understand what's happening with the sport that they support. Yeah, and you know what? Like the the rest of the world is already in turmoil and our regular routines and lifestyles and how we know life as it is is already in turmoil. And even 18 months later after COVID first started, I still personally feel like I'm still picking up pieces of what I'm used to here and there and reminding myself, oh, yeah, I did used to like to do this and I do miss going to do, you know, Sunday scrimmage with the boys. And I personally still need to be, like, constantly reminded of things of, like, the WNBL season is starting and these are your options of watching it because it's brand new. Even though it's something old that I'm used to, it's coming at me in a brand new way and I'm still accustomed to, like, you know, be checking the website and be looking up games on the uni website of when I can go down. Like I need to be reminded when it's going to be on KO or if it's going to be on KO at all. Yeah, that that level of communication is really important, particularly given how fractured things have been and, you know, the amount of uncertainty that we're looking at. I mean, to just recently they've said New South Wales might want to push the HSC back to early November. Now, if they're saying it's we're considering that, that's going to come before a more liberal approach to sport and fans at sports mm. because the HSC is such a significant thing. So, and, it, and you know what? The fans won't care if you say, hey, we don't know at this point. Mm, no. If you come out and say, look, we don't know at this point, but we're going to be able to give you a better idea six weeks from now, at least you're you're talking to us, you're letting us know, we've got an indication that something's happening. Even though we know something's happening, we're not hearing it. Yeah, I think people in lots of circumstances, sports or otherwise, get pretty annoyed when, yeah, it's those situations where someone's not taking responsibility 
or someone's yeah not communicating clearly. Yeah, like you said, we're not going to be annoyed if you don't know or if nothing's cemented because, I mean, nothing can be really cemented in times like now. So we can't expect you to to have a whole season organized and neatly parceled. But yeah, just letting us know that that it's they're still working towards it would be appreciated. Yeah. Okay. Jacinta, thanks again for joining me on the show. Really enjoyed it. Enjoyed the talk. It'll be really interesting season to see how these teams finally lock themselves in and also, you know, get through the season. Looking forward to speaking to you on the next show. No worries. Thanks again for having me. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.